Amen. Well, good morning on the, as you said, the last Sunday of 2020. Now, I thought about uh, starting off this sermon with something special like burning a 2020 calendar um, or getting a picture of 2020 and throwing darts at it, uh, but I figured that would not be appropriate. But I did want to start with this question. What emotions have you been feeling lately? Or, or maybe a different way, what have you been finding yourself being passionate about lately? 2020 has been a unique and, and very difficult year. You know, we've been kicked around, we've been lied to, we've been set against one another. I mean, all these things thrown at us. We've been stirred up. And when we're stirred up, something comes out. And what has come out? So what have you been feeling? And again, what are you passionate about? And I've seen two responses. And I think this is normal in any kind of situation that, that tosses you around. Two, and these are extreme, you can find anywhere in between. But one would be, you know, all this happens and so you're afraid or angry or stressed. And then you retreat from God's people. You retreat from God a little bit and become somewhat inward focused and, and, and dwelling on emotions. That's one extreme response that I've seen happening over this last few months and, and year. Or the other side, perspective. Sometimes things like this, and I've seen this happen as well, people get some perspective when they can't do sports every night of the week or, or whatever it is, and their perspective grows in uh, hope in Jesus, in, in faith in Christ, in a focus on the family, and so a drawing closer to God in this time. And then when that happens, other passions start to come out. You know, as the uh, last Sunday of 2020, I have the blessing of going back sometime in the year, this is what I do, and, and grab the sermon I think applies best that I already taught, and then kind of reteach that passage. And we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 1, so grab your Bible and turn to Nehemiah 1. And here's why I'm going back to that one, because when we taught this, uh, it was early on, many of you have come since we taught on this. Uh, it was, I think, early with the COVID, and so our production value was not so great. Um, I'm not sure how many people saw it, but I think there's some real relevance. We're only going to look at four verses, some real relevance in these four verses that I think will help us as we look at 2021 of how can we get right priorities? How can we get our heart and our mind right as we go into 2021, which looks right now not much different from 2020? We'll see what happens. So we're going to be in, in Nehemiah chapter 1, but let me catch you up real quick. So um, I'm going to go through the whole series. Now, if you didn't hear the Nehemiah series, it's online or it's on the podcast, and it was a really valuable series. Uh, it was exciting for me. God worked on me in that. But here's kind of the story. So Nehemiah lived, this is 450 years before Jesus Christ. So to put this in perspective, 450 years before Jesus, Israel is God's chosen people. Since Jesus... The church, meaning every believer everywhere, those are God's people. Um, and we have somewhat the same goal as Israel did, representing God to the rest of the world and glorifying God in, in worship. And so Israel was God's chosen people. Uh, Jerusalem was a, a special city to God where they had the temple. Uh, and this was a place that represented God to the rest of the world. Uh, they were told by God that you will be a light to the nations. You will bless the nations and, and things like that. So they had a unique role of representing God to the world. 
something happened before this time uh, where Israel pretty much drifted away from God. They, they disobeyed his, his laws, his rules. You can go to the Ten Commandments or, or the Mosaic Law. They disobeyed all these. And in the Mosaic Covenant that God gave with Israel, he said, if you do these things, you're going to be exiled from your land. Well, they did these things, and God was true to his word, and they were exiled, meaning they were conquered uh, by Babylon primarily. Babylon came in, took them, uh, took a bunch of people out, left a few people there. Um, in certain spots, they brought other people in. So they have been in exile now for many, many years. Persia conquers Babylon. Um, fun history there. Persia conquers Babylon, and they have a different philosophy of ruling. They then say, okay, some of you Jews, you can go back. And they even gave them some money. Go back and rebuild. So some of the Jews, and by the way, it had been generations in exile. Some of these, you know, they had never grown up in Jerusalem, in Israel. They grew up in Babylon and other cities. The Persian king said, you can go back to Jerusalem and rebuild and, and start over there. And you can be the Jews again in your promised land. And so when he said that, many did go back and they built the temple again. They rebuilt the temple. It wasn't like it was before. But they rebuilt the temple, and they started worshiping again. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king of Persia. So there were several returns, several groups returned. This is decades and decades later. Nehemiah has not returned. He has a special place, cupbearer to the king of Persia. So the most power, powerful man in the world, he is his right-hand man. He's the one that when, when they feed the king, he gets to taste the good food first to make sure it's not poisoned. Uh, that was a special role. He, was, he would be a counselor as well. Uh, he was well taken care of. He lived in the palace. He dressed well. Life was good for Nehemiah. Well, in the whole story, in the whole book of Nehemiah, you see Nehemiah being in this great position with the king of Persia, and he hears about Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, many had returned, but the walls are broken down. It's all destroyed. And so he gets in his heart that he's going to go back and rebuild. And so through Nehemiah, we see him go back. He stirs up the people. He gets them. They rebuild the wall. I mean, it's a miracle what they do, how fast they rebuild it. They rebuild it well with opposition from outside, with opposition from the inside, with spiritual revival happening at the same time. So much happens, but they rebuild this wall because Nehemiah, a man of God, gets it in his heart to obey God and go do something significant. And we're going to look at just the first four verses because that story resonates with me as a pastor, as, as your pastor. One of my passions is to see God have his will in your life. When I stand before God, I, I want to hear from him, well done, good and faithful servant. And part of that would be that you fall so deeply in love with Jesus that God uses me to help you in that process and to discover your, your purpose. Do you realize you have been bought with a price by Jesus Christ for a purpose, that God wants to do something significant through you. And it might not look significant, you know, by worldly standards. That's okay. If it's what God has for you, it is significant. The theme verse comes from 2 Chronicles. And this is, I think, for us and for the book of Nehemiah. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says this. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Look at that. Does that change your view of God a little bit? God isn't up there looking for people to fail so he can zap them. God is looking for people whose heart is fully his so he can put all his resources behind that person. And how many resources does God have? 
All of them. Everything is his. So, I mean, this kind of gives me chills. God is looking for people. People who are not special, not smart, you know, not super skilled. People whose heart is fully his. And he says, I'm going to support this person. Now, if your heart is fully God's, that means your heart is going to be for his things. So he's going to fully support. It's not to support you to go get rich or whatever, you know, on your, it might be so that he can use your wealth for his glory. Here's another verse, Ephesians 2.10. We always focus on Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. Great verses about salvation. We're saved by Jesus alone. We experience salvation by placing our faith in him, by no works at all, so nobody can boast. But then Ephesians 2.10 tells us why he saves us. I mean, he saves us because he loves us. He saves us so we can have eternity with him in heaven, not hell. But the reason he leaves us here is for a reason, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. That means created new at salvation in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So when you place your faith in Jesus as Lord, and if you haven't done that yet, do that today, do it right now. Place your faith in him as Lord, and then he saves you. His Holy Spirit comes in you, and he has things he's already prepared for you to do, to walk in them for his glory and for the benefit of people. So there's our theme. Do you want to use, be used greatly by God? And I think this is relevant right now, because in this 2020 junk that has just happened, we can either retreat into a shell, or we can see it as an opportunity for God to do something different and something great. So what, back to my question, what has stirred in you? What passions have come out? Are they political passions? Are they selfish passions? Are they passions about your rights? Or are there passions about hurting people? Or passions about God glorifying himself? Look real quick at Nehemiah 1. Just the first four verses. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month, month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in trouble, great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. So, you know, real quick, he's, again, he's in Susa. He's with the king of Persia. Some, his brother, we don't know if it's his actual brother or, or, or using the word brother as a fellow Jew. But somebody he cares about, somebody he knows comes, and he asks for a report, and he says, well, it's not good. You know, obviously, Nehemiah thought things there would be good. Because he's surprised by this. The walls are torn down. So the, the people are at risk. The wall is, is really the power in a city for protection, you know, for autonomy. to be. The, the wall's break, broken down. And it's been broken down for 150 years. So, I mean, it's just broken down and in, in rubble. And he hears this. And look at his response. This is our, what we're going to focus on. Verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept. And mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Look at his response. Nehemiah, again, 
is comfortable. He's good. He's got all the fine clothes. He's got a BMW. He's, he's got all the best food you could, you could eat. He's good. But he hears about God's people in God's city, and he weeps and mourns and fasts. Listen, if we want to be used greatly by God, and that's the rest of the story, God's going to use Nehemiah to do something significant. But for us, it means we need to be stirred. This is in your notes, but to develop a holy discontent, the comfortable must be stirred. Leave that up. A holy discontent. We talked a lot about this through Nehemiah. A holy discontent, meaning we're stirred for something. We see something that we get passionate about. Again, something for God's glory and the benefit of people. That's what a holy discontent is. But God saved you for a purpose, meaning there's something he wants you to look at and go, this isn't right. I, I want to do something about this, whatever it is. It, it, and it could be many things. It could be uh, you know, kids without homes. It, it could be orphans somewhere. It could be elderly uh, without community. I mean, we, you can go down the list. It could be the church uh, you know, and people falling deeply in love with Jesus, whatever that is. But a holy discontent is a vision for what could be and what should be for God's glory and for the benefit of people. So again, this isn't, you know, a vision politically. We got a lot of politic junk going on right now. It's not a vision for what America should be. It's, it's a vision for what God might do for the benefit of his people and for his own glory. And so, as we see Nehemiah, Nehemiah is stirred by this. We've been stirred lately. As you've been stirred over this last year, what has come out? Are there things that you're getting passionate about? Or are you, have you retreated? Have you turned in? Nehemiah has a dislocated heart. That's the title of this sermon. A dislocated heart. I love this picture. Nehemiah is here, uncomfortable, in exile, but his heart is for the kingdom of God. A dislocated heart. He's surrounded by everything awesome for him, but his heart belongs to God. His heart is for God's kingdom. Do you have a dislocated heart? Meaning you're here in this world, but your heart is for God's things. That's where it all starts. We want to be used greatly by God. We want to see our city changed. We want to see the people in our church flourish. But it begins at the heart level, a dislocated heart. A dislocated heart is within a person living in an earthly kingdom, but focused on the kingdom of God. Kind of with the idea of, this is not my home. So here's what I love about the Old Testament, Nehemiah, those in exile. The New Testament often refers to us as exiles, similar to the Jews in exile. They were cast all over, still God's people. We are all over the world. We are in different kingdoms, American kingdoms, Russian kingdoms, Chinese kingdoms. We call them nations now. But we are in all of these, but we all are in God's kingdom. And here we're actually exiles. We're foreigners. We're Christians, meaning God's people. Then, for us, then we're Americans. Look at 1 Peter 2, verse 11. This is Peter, and he's writing. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles 
honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Here's the point of this verse, the first one. You are sojourners and exiles. We are just passing through this world. We belong to God. When we go to his kingdom, that's where we belong. That's where we're going to be forever. And we, when we get there, it's going to be like, yeah, this is home. This is what I've made, I, I'm made for. Here, we're just passing through. This, this isn't our home. We don't want to have too many attachments here. 1 John 2.15 says it this way. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Many Jews were sent into exile. Many Israelites were into exile. Only a, a, a small percentage returned to Jerusalem. They had moved. It had been generations now. Um, and especially under Persian rule, things were pretty good. Uh, they could set up homes and businesses and families and things like that wherever they lived. So when they got news, we could leave this comfort and things going well and go back to Jerusalem. Many said no. Many were comfortable right where they were at. And that's not always a bad thing. You know, for some, that was probably a selfish. For some, it's like, no, God wants to use me here in, in this country. But for many, it's like, no, we're comfortable. We're, we're not going to go there for us are we willing to get uncomfortable? Or do we love the world so much? And again, here's, here's kind of a, a barometer. With all this stuff happening right now, if the things stirring in us are, are fear and anger and stress and worry, it means we're focused on worldly things. Or are we focused on God's kingdom and we see opportunities, again, for what he might want us to do? It comes to the heart level. If our heart is focused on him, uh, Matthew 6, again, says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Right before that, this is Jesus teaching, and Jesus says, Why do you worry about what you're wearing? Why do you worry about food? Why do you worry about where you're going to sleep? Love God. Uh, set your sights on his kingdom, and he'll give you all the things you need. Same with us. We get so focused... I do. I, I can get the goggles and look at what's happening, you know, financially, economically, pull it, all these, and I focus on all of this. And he says, no, 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 no. Seek first my kingdom. I'll deal with that stuff. I'll provide the things that you need. And when we have that right focus, then we see opportunities for his kingdom. Here's, here's a silly example. A couple weeks ago, um, I got a phone call. And, you know, and, and I didn't recognize the number, but it was a hospital. And so I thought, okay, I should probably answer it. Somebody I know is in the hospital. So I answered the phone, and, and it's, some, it, it's somebody, and they say, hey, this is Mama. And I'm like, okay, it's like somebody playing a joke, you know. Somebody's tricking me. I'm like, what's up, Mama? Um, and it kind of joked with this person for a little bit, and then I realized, oh, no, this is a real person. Uh, she's 95, um, in, in a home somewhere in California, wrong number, uh, turned out, and so now I felt bad because I was joking around. Well, then I started kind of asking her questions, and she has two kids, and one she really likes, the other one is a disappointment. And Anyway, um, I can tell you more about her decorations and, and whatever. We talked for quite a while, and, and, and I, normally I get a call like that, wrong number, I got things to do. For some reason, God had my heart in the right spot right then, and, and we just talked for a while. You know, and then I said, how can I pray for you? She said, well, I have a temper. You know, pray, pray, you know, and so we, it was just an opportunity. It's, again, that's a silly little example. 
but of an opportunity that was there. And, and God had me at that moment. A lot of times I would just, wrong number, hang up. Um, God had me at that moment. But that's what I mean by when we're focused on him, we'll see opportunities for him to do great things in and through us for his glory and for the benefit of people. You know, people ask, what's God's will for me? Or what's my purpose? When God has our heart and we seek him, he will give us purpose. Then he'll resource us to fulfill that purpose. I, I love that idea. If we have a passion that's from God and God wants us to do something about it, guess what? He'll resource that. Money, people, whatever it is. If he wants to do it, he'll resource it. You know, right now with everything happening in our country, resources seem to be down. Uh, uh, churches, it's just across the board. Volunteers are like cut in half. Um, understandably. Money, way down, all these things. But guess what? Even right now, God is wanting to do great things. Remember, go back to 2 Chronicles. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth so he can show himself strong in support of those whose heart is completely his. Can I brag about you guys just a little bit? We had our, our uh, tree over here. You know, we're tags to give gifts. Last year, we did 75. This year, we thought we can do a little more. We did 250. Because you guys showed up and grabbed them. Last year, we realized, I mean, you guys showed up and grabbed too many. Um, 250. This past year, 2020, we completed, you know, this building. And, of course, we can't fill it the way we would like. Um, at Christmas Eve, we have two services, whatever. But during this time, we've continued to grow as a church. Our giving was way above uh, the, the budget we needed. Meaning we were able to complete this building. We were able to up our production. God gave us Tyler, who's in that room right now. Hi, Tyler. Um, <laughs> for those of you online, he just yelled hi from that room. Um, but, but God gave us Tyler. He resourced us with him, who had a passion about video and these things. When COVID hit, he swooped in and made things good. Uh, we have a new website that helps with that. Uh, we had planned to hire a youth pastor. Then COVID hit and all this. Well, we interviewed uh, David right before. I mean, he was lucky to get home after his interview here. That's when everything started getting shut down. So we interviewed him and we felt God is leading us this way. Everything is crashing, but we're going to keep following him because we believe that God's work done God's way never lacks God's provision. So we hired them. <laughs> we, you know, we brought him and his family out here and they're doing amazing things. The, the youth is, is having a lot of fun, but it's not about fun. There's people growing in Christ. When I come in on Wednesdays, I see leaders, you know, our youth leaders, having real conversations with, with teenagers. There's some that want to get baptized. <laughs> God is doing things right now in the midst of this. And he's doing it in and through you. Many of you have your own stories in your head right now of where you've seen opportunities and God has used you. And I, I'm talking to you, but I'm also talking to the rest of us that maybe we've gotten wrapped up. Maybe we need to refocus a little bit. Are we focused on his kingdom? What are the opportunities we have around us right now? You know, this phone call that I got stirred me a little bit. And, and I don't think I'm the one. Maybe you're the one. Maybe this is why he gave it to me. But uh, that there are people in these uh, assisted living facilities that don't have the community that we get to experience. Maybe God wants to do something about that here in Carson City, here in this area. That's one example. But if he has our heart, as we seek him, he will give us a purpose 
and then he'll resource us to fulfill that. Again, 2 Chronicles 16.9, The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Here in Nehemiah, I'm just going to read verse 4 again. He hears about this problem. Not his problem. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He will do this for a while before, before he takes some steps to do something about it. Where is the pain around you? Where is the pain that we're seeing, the, the hurt that is stirring your heart? Are you being stirred? There's somebody in need. There's something God wants to do, and maybe it's through you. Where is that? Guess what? If he's calling you to do it, he'll resource it, and it's going to be great. And as a church, I think a lot of our job is to come alongside. If God puts something on you, our role is to come around and help you and be part of that if God puts something on your heart. And it's all about the heart. You know, as I was wrapping this up, what came to mind, you know, what's going to distract us from this? You know, why don't we see more Christians just out there doing it for the kingdom? And I think distraction is a big one, isn't it? We've got Netflix, now we've got HBO Max, you know, go Hulu, whatever. We have distractions, sports, politics, what, all these distractions that lead us away. But Proverbs 4.23 says this, guard your heart above all else. For it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else. For it determines the course of your life. How's your heart? Where's your heart? As we move to our time of response, I want this to be on your mind. Where is your heart? Scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So is your heart for kingdom things, God's kingdom things, his glory and people? Or is your heart for worldly things? Right now, let's, let's move to worship and let's pray. Maybe before you start singing. And if God brings something to mind, give it to him. We have these prayer walls over here. Use these. Come over here. Write down, it can be a prayer request that you put in there and our prayer team will pray for it. Or it could be just you giving something to God. God, this is what I'm wrapped up. It's preventing me from being passionate about your things. Write it on there and give it to him. There's something about symbolically actively doing something, writing it down, putting it in that wall, and then walking away, letting God have that so that then he can have all of you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for all of the Bible, uh, but thank you for the book of Nehemiah and that we can revisit just that beginning. Um, God, so often we, we think about those who do great things for you and we think, oh, it's because they're skilled, it's because they're smart, uh, whatever it is. But God, as we look at your word, and as we look at the stories and the people you choose to use, you don't typically choose the elite. Sometimes you do if their heart is full of yours, but you choose just normal people, normal people whose heart is for you, and then you do great things. God, we want to see you do great things. We want to see more people saved. We want to see families healed. We want to see marriages thriving. We want to see kids falling deeply in love with you so that they grow up. And they become passionate uh, ministers for you wherever they go, rather than wandering away from the truth. God, we love you. Please use us for your glory. Stir our hearts so that we want what you want. Be glorified now as we sing and as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen.